Can't buy me love. The best introduction to the Beatles. Two remastered double albums. The Red Album, 62 to 66. The Blue Album, 67 to 70. The Red Album and the Blue Album remastered from the Beatles. This week's been the latest fab. I'm Ed Chan. I'm John Stone. We got a little bit of news here. First off, there was a tweet which told us that Lady Gaga and Taylor Swift are now confirmed to be working together alongside Paul McCartney on the upcoming film on Netflix, High in the Clouds, which is set to premiere in July of 2023. Hi, this is Paul McCartney, and I'm going to read an excerpt from my new book, High in the Clouds. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Whirl the squirrel is lying back on his favorite branch, munching acorns from a bag, as he listens to his mom telling one of her stories. It's like eating popcorn while you're enjoying a good film. This is one of Sugartail's Animalia tales, set on the tropic island sanctuary where the animals live without a care in the world. Whirl smiles. Things aren't bad here either. A cool summer breeze, a good story, and the crunchiest of crunchy snacks. High in the Clouds was Paul's vaguely environmental book, Whirl the Squirrel and the Destruction of the Planet and the Ecosystem for Animals. But there are supposed to be as much as nine new songs, so that would be at least one collaboration with each and possibly more if they're going to put out a release like this. Hmm. I thought... High in the clouds was like a confession. <laughs> well, uh, it could be that as well. <laughs> and I'm sure people will be making those jokes and there will be memes <laughs> about that. Particularly since we did get some shots of Paul in New York being past a uh, herbal jazz cigarette. <laughs> and he took a puff, so. <laughs> well, I hope they don't bust him. <laughs> is it legal in New York? In New York State? I think it is. No doubt. Today marks the opening of the first legal recreational marijuana dispensary in the state of New York. Housing Works Cannabis Company is located in Greenwich Village. Nonetheless, it will bring the Swifties over to the McCartney side if they hadn't been from the Rolling Stone cover and her relationship with Stella. So, I mean, that's good. Yeah. And I will be curious to see what Paul and Lady Gaga sound like together. It has the potential of being something really interesting. I think that both Gaga and Taylor are vital songwriters. I mean, Paul has never shied away from working with whoever's hot at the moment. Yeah, it's Gaga hot at the moment. I don't know. She's kind of taken over the Madonna role (laughs) in that whatever she does, someone's going to pay attention to. I don't know quite how hot she is, but it's not like she's going to be ignored. Right. Although the Beatle people weren't real happy with her when she sat down and played something at the white piano at Sean's invitation. <laughs> then took a selfie behind it. Like, she's desecrating it. Like, no, she's not. She's, she's a piano player and she's playing a piano. <laughs> oh, people looking for something to be offended by. <laughs> well, when aren't they? Yeah. Well. 
I grew up since I was five years old, four blocks from Yoko and Sean. But I didn't know them. And they, well, I knew them, but they didn't know me, because I was nobody. And as a young student, I often walked across Central Park, and I would walk as often as I could through uh, John's Imagine Memorial and the gateway to Strawberry Fields. Lady Gaga is not afraid to speak her mind and be fearless with her image. And backstage, that's what Yoko said she loves about Gaga. I know. It's incredible. Because, you see, most people think, well, she's famous, she can do anything she likes, and so this should be easy for her. But, you see, I know all the top ones, you know, and anybody who's in the top, they don't want to risk themselves. They don't want to risk their uh, reputation. So they just stick to what they're doing. And she's not like that. And she's a woman. I mean, it's interesting. I think that uh, women are maybe that way, you know, much more, you know, uh, <clears throat> risk takers. But she's really incredible. And I love her. I love you too. <laughs> So I guess, you know, there's yet another career Paul could find his way to taking advantage of. You know that he's going to have to do something with these Grand Dude books. There's got to be some sort of animated thing going alongside that. Right. There's got to be somebody inside MPL looking for a gig. I have an idea. Let's do something with the Grand Dude books. The first one wasn't quite so much, but the, the second one was very beetly. The friendly octopus and the sitar player named Ravi and so on and so forth. I, I don't know if you've ever actually read it. I haven't read it, but I have listened to the audiobook. Uh, Paul read the audiobook himself, and, and he actually wrote some stuff for both of the audiobooks. So, it's, you know, well, that's, that's cute. Cool. Can't say that I know anything about them. Grand Dude and Nan Dude. <laughs> Dear listener, my name is Edward Marshall Sr. I have four grandchildren. I call them Chillers, and they call me Grandood. Come and join us on an adventure. Yours sincerely, Grandood. Second off, Dolly Parton has announced her album coming in November entitled Rockstar, relatively hot off of her induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year. Right. So she has announced this record, and she has also announced that she, too, is going to have lots and lots of guests, among them Richie Sambora, Sting, Steve Perry, Ann Wilson, Howard Lee, John Fogarty, Kid Rock, Waddy Wachtel, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Chris Stapleton, Miley Cyrus, Pink, Brandy Carlisle, Kevin Cronin, Debbie Harry, Elton John, Melissa Etheridge, Lizzo, Lizzo, Sasha Flute, Linda Perry, our good friend Linda Perry, Amy Lou Harris, Cheryl Crow, Pat Benatar, Neil Giraldo, Michael McDonald, Ronnie McDowell, The Jordanaires, that's cool, Mick Fleetwood, and Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Right. I saw the list of names and I thought, were they going to have like a We Are the World kind of choruses where everybody's singing? That's a lot of folks. It's a two-disc set. Between the originals and the covers, everybody gets a song. And I mean, some of them will have multiple people on them. I mean, I would imagine Linda Perry did contribute a new song and probably Cheryl Crow did as well. And I see both Pat Benatar and Neil Jarlow's there so they're a team the jordanaires are the interesting one to me I, I didn't know that the jordanaires were still working or or i mean how many of these are the original jordanaires if any i don't know based on normalcy one <laughs> the son of one of the originals and he owns the name paul and ringo are playing together on a cover of let it be and peter frampton is doing the solo we speak of Linda Perry. It reminds me of something I saw years ago and just caught again on YouTube while I was looking up stuff for this. Uh, for years, apparently, Dolly Parton and Paul McCartney have occasionally gone out to dinner together. That would be something. You, you stroll into a restaurant, and there at a table was Dolly Parton and Paul McCartney. You walk into a sizzler, and there they are. Considering they're both vegetarians these days, <laughs> I don't think they'd be the sizzler. But the salad bar is so good. <laughs> <laughs> they'll have the breadsticks at olive garden <laughs> right tmz caught dolly leaving the restaurant did you have dinner with paul mccartney dolly yes, we did and that was nice. <laughs> oh my gosh was that the first time or have you done oh no i know him wow who picked up the check dolly Linda, Perry, 
<laughs> it was poor non-blonde singer Linda Perry. Hey, Linda, what's going on? You know what I would have done if I was at that restaurant? I would have gone to the waiter and said, bring me like a little like cupcake with a candle and say it's my birthday and start singing happy birthday. And then Paul McCartney sang you happy birthday. With Dolly Parton. And Linda Perry could pay for the cupcake. Good to see you, Linda, Paul, and Dolly. That should be fun, and it's good to see that Paul and Ringo are not hesitating to work together. Dolly is a living legend these days. Oh, for sure. She's one of that select group. Yeah, absolutely. To have them playing together, that's cool. I mean, why a cover of Let It Be is probably Dolly's choice, but all right. Yeah, probably was. She couldn't say she wanted to do another version of Long and Winding Road? Actually, she'd be good at that. That's a song she she could do well. She could do Let It Be as well. Oh, she she did do Let It Be as well. So She could do I've Just Seen a Face. That would also be really pretty cool. Well, time to be planning part two, huh? <laughs> That's what they get for not asking me. <laughs> anyway, it is coming later this year. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, I need somebody. younger so much younger than today i never needed anybody's help in any way but now those days are gone and i'm not so self-assured now i finally changed my mind and i've opened up the door help me if you can i'm feeling down and i do appreciate you being around won't you help me get my feet back on the ground won't you please please help me our topic for this week, we are talking about the capital collections of the 70s, although not just that, we've also put together our own individual playlists of what we kind of imagine contemporary version of one of these records or CDs or who wants it on physical media. Let's just say playlists might look like. <laughs> right. I took it from... Okay, so I'm the record exec, and I'm having to come up with something. What would I put together? I didn't really try to redo something somebody else had done, because for the most part, they did such a bad job. Yeah, the weird thing is, we hear these stories these days, and they really didn't put that much thought into it. It really was just kind of, here's an idea. Okay, let's do that. That's what it seems like. I still don't know why they rejected John Lennon coming up with a cover for rock and roll music. Especially when they went with the one they did on the original two LP version of the record. Yeah, you almost get the feeling that it was somebody's son-in-law. or It's like, well, he, he's got the cover. No, we don't want John's cover. My son-in-law is going to do this and make the money. I mean, all the really interesting repackagings were coming out of other countries. Mexico was throwing individual Beatle-themed EPs at us. Yeah. Red and Blue is probably the best of those compilations it's not bad other than it's missing some tracks right but at the same time it also puts some tracks in that are kind of unexpected you know it's a nice collection for the most part for 1973 it was kind of necessary i won't say that people were starting to forget about the beatles but it had been three years since they broken up and it's like we kind of need to get some product out there right and that has become the entry point for so many people my age, roughly, that throughout the mid-70s, well, Peter Jackson, too, for that matter. You know, he was telling that story. I was going to go buy a model airplane, but then there was this thing in the record store, and I had to have it. Right. Well, this is kind of where everybody starts. They get into the Beatles, and then they go for the individual albums. You know, I'll you know, buy the abbey road or whatever but this is a great starting place an introduction to the band we kind of all poo-pooed one a little bit when it came out oh why does anybody need that and that went on to become the best selling of them all right along those lines we didn't mention it but here comes the sun has now joined the billion streamed club so it's taken this long but the beatles are now part of the billion streamed club and it's here comes the sun right in the streaming era, that's always been the most popular of the Beatles songs. Right. But it's pretty amazing. I mean, a billion streams, and they broke up 50 years ago. 53 years ago. 
And it keeps getting longer and longer in the past every day. Right. The thing that I'd say about the Red and Blue albums, as opposed to the One collection, the Red and Blue have songs on them that are not number ones, but they're really good songs. It is much more a breadth and depth, although even there, they don't quite go as deep as they could. It is a really good collection. The only negative thing you can say about that is that the Red album or albums as a two LP set is just too short. They didn't fill it up nearly as much as they could have. Well, this is true. The Blue album does pretty much stretch out to the length of what you can comfortably fit on an LP. But if you're looking at albums that the record company put together and what came later, love songs and rock and roll and all that stuff the red and blue are clearly the most creative and best oh well, for sure and we can't really mention this without mentioning the american hey jude slash beatles again record which was alan klein's moneymaker but i mean that was also an essential part of the american catalog because you had all these songs it's the equivalent of past masters at the time right you know songs that were not on any of the american albums and considering that one of the songs that was out there and not on an album was hey jude which was the last single that they released that was in mono all right so after red and blue then we come to the kind of creaky kind of bizarre ones rock and roll music which was a mistake in a lot of ways i mean not conceptually i think the idea of putting together um album or two albums of beatles rock and roll is not a bad idea yeah not a bad idea it was completely it was botched in execution yeah the execution sucked the cover was a mistake those thumbs who thought that was a good idea right uh i don't know but you know again you have to look at the surrounding history and the big seller at that point was the beach boys all summer long and they had released compilations with crappy covers and well were- and and american graffiti and happy days were coming onto the scene so i mean you know that kind of excuses the tail fins on the cars and and the coke glasses and the roller skating everything in the center spread it's like oh rock and roll rock and roll is the 50s even though that is what the beatles were escaping yeah the imagery is all 50s, which the Beatles never were. So Ringo was actually even slightly offended by that <laughs> when he first saw the thing. So as a collection, it's not terrible. I don't know how great it is. That was when John Lennon was to complain about revolution being turned into a piece of ice cream. You know, it's the stereo mix, which uh, he thought was a mistake. Although I don't know whether he knew George Martin was the one who'd done that or not. He definitely wanted it punchier. That was followed by Love Songs, which was another mistake. The repurposing of the Richard Abbott on photos, the faux leather and gold, and the fact that everything on there is not necessarily a love song. Oh, that? Yeah. Someone came up with the concept, and then when they were putting the songs together, they were like, we need this kind of song here. It didn't matter that it was not a love song. This fits the bill, so we'll put it in there. Then we got ballads, but not in the United States. We talked about that before. We talked about that last year with uh, Martin Quibell. A slightly better love songs, but again, the repurposing of that Doll's House cover and the selection is an overpacked single disc. They're not all ballads. You know, I guess the UK and other countries wanted to get in on the compilation game. Who put that out? It got distributed all throughout Europe. Then Rarities, which was good. Strange and unused mixes, although kind of going with some fake stuff. I don't know what's the point of that. The Uncut Butcher was kind of nice on the inside. That was surrounded by the release, non-release of the Sessions album, which really had some more interesting things on it than Rarities. On the Sessions album, they did what they would do on Anthology 1 and do these mashups. Yeah, cut stuff up. and Here's different versions. Yeah. And In late 1981, a dedicated team at Capitol, headed by Randall Davis, the same man who had been behind the U.S. Rarities album in 1980, were hard at work planning on what was to be the last in a long line of non-Apple-controlled, barrel-scraping Beatles compilations. 
Real Music was designed to tie in with a theatrical re-release of the newly mixed for stereo A Hard Day's Night film. The album was issued with a well-put-together 12-page colour booklet, which included rare photos, memorabilia, and a short essay about each film. It had a really nice inner sleeve too. Ultimately though, it was the cover art which took centre stage. This was the work of well-known illustrator David McMacken, whose most recent work of note had been the movie poster for the film 1941. And the last one of those before Apple would kind of get their house at least somewhat back in order. Real music. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, the Beatles movie medley was kind of a disaster. We've talked about that a little bit. Yeah. I still kind of wish they'd find some place to put that out digitally, but it's not like I want it, but, <laughs> but just for completeness sake, it's like, this should be somewhere. It is a piece of history. <laughs> Rather than just these ugly, scratchy copies that are on YouTube. Right. The cover is a disaster. You know, you talk about someone's son-in-law. This looks like someone's third grader drew these things. <laughs> yeah. It's relatively easy to get drawings of the yellow sub-beetles right, and they just botched it completely. At that point, they were just trying to generate income. There was no creativity or rhyme or reason for it and i think they knew that the end was coming too that they knew that whisperings were going on that that the beatles well they had to renegotiate contracts and they knew that the beatles themselves were wanting to take control of what was coming out and so it's like okay we got to get out as much of this product as we can which leads to the last one of these you know 20 number ones 20 greatest hits uh, the only thing that album has going for it is it has the radio edit of hey jude the five minute and 50 some second version of hey jude who needs the last minute and a half of one of the best beatles songs ever right and that you're cutting out in a minute and a half of mccartney screams that's terrible that is what Capital actually put out. And so we kind of decided, let's look at how we might handle such a release. We are going contemporary, so anything that's been released to date is fair game. Okay. For what I did, I stuck to the canon. I mostly did. This is all in our heads anyway, Ed, so just... For sure. Uh, but I, I'm saying this because I did use some anthology stuff, and I did use totally. some... At least one track from somewhere else. Totally cool. Well, we didn't really talk about how we were going to approach this, so I'm sure we did it our own ways. But Did you divide it up into sides, or did you come up with a single disc as a CD, or how did you actually put it together? I came up with a theme. It's kind of like you're going to do love songs. They didn't do love songs, but I would do whatever the theme I was going for. Fair enough. I'll start with my title and my subtitle here. The disc that I came up with is one, two, three, fa. Subtitled, How Many Beatles Does It Take to Screw in a Light Bulb? The theme, records with one, two, three, or all of them on it. I mean, granted, that's everything, but I'm mostly going for records which only feature one, two, or three of the Beatles on it. Okay. So, all right, what did you come up with as a theme? Well, I borrowed the word from Neil Innes, and my album would be called Psychedelicatessen. <laughs> okay. They kind of did that with that Tomorrow Never Knows playlist, which they pressed very few copies of. That's kind of the same idea. Uh, I, I say no, but okay, because I have that, and it doesn't follow that theme at all. I don't think. Tomorrow Never Knows was created as an iTunes exclusive album. Released on July 24th, 2012, the basic focus is on tracks from the Beatles catalog that rock. This is similar to the concept behind the 1976 compilation album by the Beatles, Rock and Roll Music. Some tracks from this album are also featured on Tomorrow Never Knows, However, Tomorrow Never Knows was altered enough to make it a unique compilation. It certainly did the trick as an introduction to newer fans, and served as an interesting playlist for longtime fans of the Beatles. Did you divide it into sides? I picked songs. Some may surprise. But, you know, it would have the obvious ones, like Lucy. 
you know, obviously you'd have to have that on the album. Probably Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, I had down second. Then I have It's All Too Much. I almost would put that first to open up the album. Open up with like the long version of It's All Too Much, which, as we discussed, we don't have yet. Yeah, right. But it's got to go on there. I think that's one of their great psychedelic songs. Why don't I go through side one and give you a minute to come up with an order? Is that going to work for you? Comment as you will about what I've chosen for side one of this disc. Now, I'm not counting Pete in that one, two, three, four. So it's roughly in chronological order. So I'm going to start with my Bonnie with Tony Sheridan with the German intro. Okay. All those various intros are actually relatively rare other than the English one. Because he did a couple of different intros to My Bonnie. And that's the reason why I selected it over Ain't She Sweet. To give something which is kind of sort of a rarity. Okay. Mine here. family collection of all the Sheridan stuff collected all the separate intros and and that's kind of cool yeah you're definitely doing the uh, record exact thing then that is followed by the have a nagila the uh, pete best love me do which came out on anthology then third the andy white please please me again from anthology which is not a great version but again it's kind of a rarity right then we're going to have to skip ahead. Can you think of any Beatles songs between this and the next one, which is Yesterday, that don't feature all four of them on it? Well, nothing. All of with the Beatles, they're all on all of Hard Day's Night, and they're all on all of Beatles for Sale. We've moved on from the anthology material, and now we go into the stuff where we know for sure that we don't have all of the Beatles playing on it. So we've got Yesterday, and that also serves as one of the big hits and a reason why someone who is kind of just getting into the Beatles might want to pick up this record. And we kind of get a little string bit here. It's Yesterday, Eleanor Rigby, For No One, Within You, Without You. And then the side ends with She's Leaving Home. So that keeps it chronological. You got a couple of big fancy string songs. Really, the only problem with side one that I have is that it is so Paul heavy. (laughs) You know, I say that, but we do start with three John songs. If we're going to count Tony Sheridan as a John song, which maybe not. So so you you got Love Me Do and Please Please Me. So you get two John songs. Then you've got four out of the next five are Paul songs. Yeah. Well, on my album, it's predominantly john because he's the one who did heavy's psychedelia okay it's a two lp set we'll put out both (laughs) of our records (laughs) i got the paul stuff you got the john stuff that's part of the deal is that you talk about songs where not all the beatles are on paul is on pretty much every beatles song more or less i mean you think about it other than the george songs like within you without you Paul is on pretty much every straightforward Beatles song. That's just the way they worked, you know? John would take songs off. Not just George. We know that John took a bunch of George songs off, but that is eight tracks, and it fits nicely on side one of the record.
yesterday All my troubles seem so far away Oh, I believe in yesterday I did it as two sides of vinyl with some bonus tracks to make it out to a CD. You, you have compiled this together as a CD. Yeah. We'll just put these songs together. And Why don't you get going? And then, you know, after eight or nine songs, wherever is an appropriate breaking point, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come right. back to me. You have a general idea of 14 or 15 songs, maybe. So that's where I'm at in regards to that. Except the numbers that we started with was kind of going by what capital had gone by, which is anywhere between 14 and 20 songs. Right. So. Right. You know, I would start this album, Psychedelicatessen, with It's All Too Much. It's psychedelia at its best. And, and they do, truly, they threw in everything. It's around this time that Martin referred to it as there was a lot of stuff that really wasn't all that good. And I always wondered, was this one of them? Yeah, I don't know what George Martin was saying. I mean, the, they were also kind of being buried in George's songs. And Within You, Without You, I think that was the one he really wanted to get on Pepper. Yes. But this is The Kitchen Sink. Danny's Los Angeles show, Flaming Lips playing a really great live version of All Too yeah. Much. That's how it started off. has a great fade. And then it fades into the great little harpsichord part that opens up Lucy, which is truly another psychedelic song. And it keeps uh, its second, just like it is on Pepper. 
Yes. <laughs> well, second or second and a half since second since and a half. Pepper and with a little help before Lucy's. Right. Right. Uh, and the fade of Lucy in my head just works perfect to enter with Baby You're a Rich Man. The clavichord. This whole CD, because of you know what it's about, is clearly going to be Lennon heavy. But this song has McCartney on the choruses and the fade out. Okay, so, so he gets to participate as it fades out with the with the chorus. Uh, we enter back in with the drone of Tomorrow Never Knows. That would kind of have to be your side ender. You think? Where do you have tomorrow? Never knows going to Blue Jay Way. Ending it tomorrow never knows into that droney bit of uh, the opening of Blue Jay Way, right? And then you finish the side if you're going to do sides with Strawberry Fields. Okay, that'll work. And then then the record ends with Cranberry Sauce. The side, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so 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 since you're doing a CD, you didn't you didn't time it out to make sure it would work on vinyl. But I mean, no, no, it, it might or it might not. <laughs> Right. Somebody, uh, maybe I'll put this together and see how it works out. So the other side, if you're going to do sides, would uh, start with I Am The Walrus. I don't have anything to say about that. I think it's a, a really good side opener. You can't talk about Walrus without talking about George Martin's comment. What am I going to do with that? True that. And then I Am The Walrus ending in um, Everybody's Got One. And uh, oh, untimely death. Uh, the next song would be Rain. Backwards into backwards. And then I'm going to totally throw you off by throwing in Nowhere Man. Which is not traditionally thought of as a psychedelic song, but it certainly has touches of that direction. is kind of of his psychedelic mindset and that's kind of why i put it after rain because it's kind of that same thing they are very much lennon songs of a time period the drowsy sort of malaise of john 
just as he was kind of getting into acid. The happiness of the pot had worn off and it wasn't taking him there. And he was looking kind of for the next place to go to. Rain and Nowhere Man are both along those lines. Right. And I mean, you could put I'm Only Sleeping in there. I, I don't know. Did you? Uh, No. Okay. That's slightly more psychedelic. You want to go slightly less? That's cool. Sound wise. Yeah. And then coming out of the uh, Making All His Nowhere Plans for Nobody, the way it ends, the next song would be Paul's song, which would be Hello Goodbye. Despite the fact that you don't think it's a great song, that it's all about the production. It is, but that's what Paul was doing. And otherwise, he just doesn't make an appearance on this record. We've kind of got two records which do go together. (laughs) Right. It's more of a... John and George album. And I've got a Paul and George album, so <laughs> right. George is the one that gets the most play. That's great. Coming out of that would be Cry Baby Cry. Not traditionally thought of as psychedelic. I don't know. The production and the words are very of that era. For that period, not Glass Onion? No. Cry Baby Cry is kind of tied to Lucy in the Sky. Hmm. If you're going to say Psychedelia off the White Album, I kind of go to Bungalow Bill and Glass Onion first. I get what you're saying. Right. The last one I have, because I think of time, would be Across the Universe, the the Hums Wild version. Before me, like a million eyes, they call me on and on across the universe. Thoughts me under So, another kind of something which is a little bit rare. Yes. And uh, <laughs> because you could have more songs on a CD, I actually have the next song being Think for Yourself. And then She Said, She Said. Okay. That takes us through your record. It it is very much an interesting collection, and I think it's better than anything that Capital put out as far as compilations go. Particularly if we throw the long, it's all too much on there. It does give people some reason to buy it. Some rarity. And I think it flows together pretty well. Well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> all right, so we're back around to my side, too. The biggest problem with me putting together this list on this theme is, oh, well, we'll just throw the whole White Album on here. <laughs> right. I had to decide what I wanted off of the White Album. I would have put Dear Prudence on here, but now we're back into the, oh, is it Ringo who comes in at the end on Dear Prudence? So, I mean, that's no longer a, is it one, two, three? Yeah. That's also the same reason I had She Said, She Said on here for the longest time. And it's like, yeah, but now we're thinking that really is Paul's bass on there. So both of those kind of got thrown out because I wanted to leave the four to... Uh, just one or two tracks just because that's kind of a the stupid theme that a capital exec might come up with (laughs) right if you're doing one then you would you put wild honey pie i didn't but you could why don't we do it the road you know there there are there are a couple of other possibilities yes yeah so uh on that that album in particular it'd be a lot you get basically a whole album of white album tracks which don't feature all four of them so side two starts with back in the ussr cool which you know as i said i would have gone into dear prudence but now we're back into it's questionable territory so i actually probably might have even replaced back in the ussr with dear prudence just to get another john song in here but (laughs) <laughs> so th- that is then followed by Julia. Right. Which also counters yesterday nicely. Only two Beatles on that. Then Savory Truffle. Right. Those are the three white album tracks I chose for the album proper. Because <laughs> George never recorded with John, it didn't seem like. <laughs> <laughs> At least once we get to, was John on Love You Too? I don't think so. From Love You Too all the way to the end, it's like, yep. Yeah. 
John was mostly not there for George songs. Then Savoy Truffle is followed by Ballad of John and Yoko. Truffle, truffle, da 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 da. Yeah, so I mean that kind of works. Ballad of John Yoko into Here Comes the Sun, that billion stream song. There's John not being there again. <laughs> well, once again, Here Comes the Sun into I Me Mine. that uh, Dave D is no longer with us but Mickey and Titch and I just like to carry on the good work that's always gone down in number two All through the day I'm in mine, I'm in mine, I'm in mine There's two with John not in there He might have been on waltz we don't really know. And then here's where the four comes in. We're, we're going to end with the quartet song, the, the end. I mean, you know, the song that really does feature all of them playing something. We've gone through all the rest of this record where more or less it's not John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Here they all are together on the last song of the album. Right. Then we'll repeat the Abbey Road trick. 10, 15 seconds of silence followed by Her Majesty. Don't you think if you're going to do that, you should have like 10 or 15 seconds of silence and then come back with, why don't we do it in the road? <laughs> we could put Wild Bunny High here. There you go. With Her Majesty, it is uh, eight songs plus Her Majesty for a total of 23 minutes and 10 seconds. So just about even. That's being a little bit obsessive. <laughs> well, I didn't plan it out that way. We have time to take off. Her Majesty, and put on... Wild Honey Pie, yeah. I did extend it out to a CD with some extra tracks here. P.S. I Love You, which... Well, you got Ringo on Maracas, so, I mean, you do have all four of them on that song. <laughs> right. Andy White, proper. We could also go with one of the other early Pete Best songs. Or if we wait for um, Peter Jackson's technology to actually come out, we can start taking Beatles off. We'll just remove the maracas. Granted, the maracas are a little bit superfluous on PS I Love You. <laughs> that is followed by Don't Pass Me By. Also only features two of them. So on the CD version, we've got two Ringo songs. you got Good Night and you got Don't Pass Me By, both from the White Album. Right. I, and, you know, I don't know why... All four of them didn't play on Don't Pass Me By, given their predilection for helping Ringo out on his songs whenever they possibly could. Did they think, oh, the fiddle's enough. What else can I do? Not sure how that was constructed and what was going on. We're back to the, they were taking up all three studios in Abbey Road. So, And George was producing and John might have been occupied. Yeah, it just seems a little bit strange to me. Given the rest of their history with Ringo, it's like, and then even after the breakup, it's like, oh, well, we got to do something for Ringo. And here is Ringo's first composition. Although, I mean, granted, Paul was always the big backer of Don't Pass Me By. You know, going back to the BBC, when we get to it, it's like, it was Paul who said, Ringo's writing a song. <laughs> Tell well, him, Ringo. Maybe in John's head, Good Night was what he was giving Ringo. They knew they were recording a double LP. or It's a double LP. Ringo still only needs one song. <laughs> Who knows? Then the instrumental inner light from Wonderwall Music. That's cool. George is on it, so you know that counts. 
and then the last track I have on my CD, although I'm not sure what I would do with these tracks, whether I would just intersperse them through the rest of the songs or if we're just going to have these as extra tracks at the end. But Maxwell Silverhammer. (laughs) As a collection of songs that don't feature all the Beatles, it's actually not bad. I made the LP version up as a playlist and it's not a bad listen. No. You can't really come up with 14 or 15 Beatles songs and say, oh, well, this is just an awful listen. Right. But the pieces do go together better than you might expect them to. I think they're interesting parts, and that's cool. If you really wanted to be clever, then you pull in a couple of the solo tracks. It Don't Come Easy or Cookin' or six o'clock or something clever clever you you might be better off pulling off some of those john solo tracks to even it up a little bit and john is still part of you and me so you can't include any of the solo george tracks on there now (laughs) all right that was a lot of fun yeah it was real cool creative and let your mind go wandering i would suggest if you're looking for something to listen to and don't want to listen to the same old thing put together some of these playlists i did put together my one two three four playlist and it plays better than you might expect it to all right so and i will put together yours and just see what they sound like sounds like fun so we will be back next week with the new show Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beast of Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. with their greatest ballads. Music as fresh today as it was. Yesterday. Classic Beatle hits. You get all the lovin' and all the music and all that special Beatle magic. The Beatles' 20 greatest ballads. Here come the hits. It's the Beatles. It's their best. From Capitol Records, the magic behind the music. Well, I came up with a whole other concept. I didn't come up with a clever name for it, but I called it Roots. And the idea was songs that they did that had clear early roots. Antecedents, yeah. And I opened it up with Your Blues, which is clearly (laughs) an old blues style song. And figuring it was coming out in the early 70s, the opening the album that way would be really cool. Yeah, except for the singing from the closet thing where you can't really hear it, John. Yeah. I'm not so sure how people might react to that on the opening track. Well, I mean, everybody knows this music. If we're going from that point, it's not Beatles, but I would almost go with the Dirty Mac version of it from Rock and Roll Circus. Yeah, the one where Mitch Mitchell misses the the drum part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> going from that into Lady Madonna, which is clearly a Fats Domino. With the piano from Bad Penny Blues. Right. Humphrey Littleton. I should say that this is just the opposite of the other album, and it's just kind of McCartney heavy. <laughs> and so um, out of Lady Madonna into Oh Darling. The doo-wop 50s-style rock and roll. Yes, platters. And from that into I'm Down. Little Richard. And then I hit, and this is this point, it was like, I don't even know how to distribute these. McCartney's music hall thing, because he has like four of them Honey Pie, When I'm 64, Your Mother Should Know, and Lovely Rita. Although Lovely Rita is only kind of that old school music hall thing. Kind of, but when I really kind of broke it down, it's like, well, it is. The, the melody is that. I don't know. But we could take that off because I think I had like 
19 songs or something. Um, next song would be Ballad of John and Yoko. Yeah, that's the first repeat we've got between our selections here. So It's 50s rockabilly. The ending is stolen from uh, Johnny Burnett. Yeah, Lonesome Tears in My Eyes. The next song was going to be You're Gonna Lose That Girl. Early 60s background vocal effect. The next song was Tell Me Why. Again, 60s girl groups. Then Tell Me What You See. What do you see is the clear antecedent there? The Everly's. There's the close harmony in there. It doesn't really sound like an Everly's tune, though. Again, it's that Roots thing. I guess there's a, a direct link from Kathy's Clown. <laughs> I'm trying to recreate your thinking here, and it's like... Well, none of these really... They're not of specific songs. You know, how do you get from the Everly's to Tell Me What You See? Okay, I guess you put Kathy's Clown in the middle that I can kind of see how you get to there. <laughs> right. Would you feel better about Two of Us? Yes. Okay. All right. That is a more straightforward, Everly's-esque, acoustic guitar, dual harmony song. Or Toss It Out, Tell Me What You See, or Putting In Two of Us. Okay. Then the next song I have was Don't Pass Me By. There's our second duplication, and there is nothing more old school country than Don't Pass Me By. <laughs> right. She's Leaving Home. Which is an example of... Gilbert and Sullivan. Really? As a story song? Yeah, and the... You know, there, there's a, a melodicism that's similar. Okay. And then the last song would be Revolution. Basically a blues. Since the opening guitar is stolen directly. Yeah, and particularly when you go back to the original version of it, you know, the Esher demos, you know, it's, it's a blue song. (laughs) Did we ever figure out whether we think John ever actually heard that guitar intro or or did we think they came up with it reasonably separately? No, I think he heard it. (laughs) Pee Wee Creighton. It's so close. He heard it. (laughs) I'm not saying he didn't hear it. I'm just saying, I'm not sure. I mean, well, it, that's it's an obscure enough record. Although, you know, granted, through Elvis, he might have heard of it. And who knows what they were listening to at NEMS. Yeah. That's some paperwork, which we don't have, you know. I wonder if Brian's uh, inventory list from NEMS still exists somewhere. I would imagine those have probably all since been disposed of. But that would be really cool if we actually knew what singles he really did have in stock at NEMS. <laughs> right. And, you know, not that they listen to all of them, but you know they listen to a healthy chunk of them, A and B side. Right. You got to talk a little more this episode. (laughs) I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but the scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. 